Occasionally, a product comes along that is better than an already popular original. That happens, and I'm going to delve immediately into controversy this morning, just so we're prepared for that controversy. Uh, in uh, 1885, or 1884, excuse me, uh, Moxie, which most of you have never heard of, became the first bottled cola. Uh, in the history of humanity that we know of anyway. Uh, and, uh, and that spawned within a year some other popular products, uh, about a year or two, uh, 1885 and 1886. These came out. Now, uh, don't know if anyone has ever had the pleasure of, of drinking a Moxie. Uh, and you know, well, it does kind of like spare tire a little bit. It's, it's like a slightly bitter version of Dr. Pepper. But it, believe it or not, up into the 1900s, it was still more popular than Coca-Cola. And, uh, and of course, no one even knows who the, where, what this soda is unless you're from, from the East Coast. You, you are the only likely people who have ever even heard of this thing. Uh, one, perhaps, that we, we know more. Anybody heard of a Hydrox cookie? Anybody, anybody know that? Uh, that, was, that was in 1908. Someone made the first Hydrox cookie. It was the first sandwich cookie. And, of course, uh, 1912, a, a slightly more popular. Now, now it, is, it is such a reversal. I always thought growing up, because I had heard of Hydrox. We used to buy them. They were the cheaper version of the Oreo. Uh, and I always thought that the Hydrox was the knockoff. And it is not. The Oreo was not. I mean, it was such a reversal that, that the, the, the thing that uh, was copied actually became so popular, of an already very popular product. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about, as we, we go through uh, uh, these different, we're in our last sermon talking about these internal characteristics. Now we recognize, of course, when it's, when we're talking about products that uh, typically the original is the, the one that people think of as having the quality. And others may come along and come close, but, or sometimes they, they offer a slightly inferior product for a lower price, and we've talked a little bit about that. But allegiances are developed to these products. And in fact, you can still go to places and people will still swear that you know, Hydrox is better than the Oreo, and they have an allegiance to that. Uh, maybe, again, and, and, uh, and there are devotees, believe it or not, to Moxie Cola, and I don't know why, because I've had one. But we're talking about reverence. And all of this attachment to a, a thing is, is fine and wonderful. And comparisons and contrasts to, to, uh, to things may, may be okay when we're talking about products. But what we're talking about are, are internal characteristics that, that other people will eventually see. We've mentioned a, a, a verse. We're going to go back to it, and, and we said that we adapted it, but we're going to kind of go back and look at it as it was intended to be looked at. And, and we've been adapting this, talking about how our internal attributes that, that we have developed are 
are also things that people see. Just, just as God has these invisible attributes that are seen. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory for the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And as I said, it's okay to develop an attachment to the the product that comes along afterwards when we're talking about Oreo cookies and Coca-Cola. But in this case... We see a a situation where people start developing the attachment to the thing that comes along instead of maintaining their reverence for the original thing that was, the I don't want to say product, but but the the original, the the God that, that created everything. And people start getting the attachment to the other things. We talk about ir- irreverence, and you'll hear that phrase a lot. People use, oh, irreverent, and they almost look at it as, as, as a, a, a calling card, something, oh, I'm so irreverent. That's, that's not a good thing. Reverence is a quality that we should have. So we're going to talk about reverence a little bit. I want to talk about some the seeds of reverence. The two, there's probably more than that. We're going to look at two components inside of us that create reverence. Luke chapter 5, verse 23 through 26, is which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or say, rise up and walk. But so that you may know that the, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to them, um, uh, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. Immediately he rose, in front of them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying we have seen extraordinary things today so we're going to talk about awe a little bit awe also has several components with it and obviously it's being impressed right you're impressed wow that was awesome right that was awesome I saw, saw an amazing thing But it is more than simply being impressed. In terms of of reverence, the the awe that creates reverence, it's it's more than just being amazed at things. But it is being overwhelmed by this. It's not just saying, well, that was really cool. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. That was cool. But to be overwhelmed, it says that they were seized with amazement. You know what it is to seize? I've had an engine seize, and that's not a fun thing. It's stopped, it's done, it's over. Right? Like it's, it's grabbed, 
<laughs> you should have put a little bit more oil in it. <laughs> you check your oil, guys. You're going to have an engine seized. They were seized with amazement. They stop. If it's just stop you in your tracks. That kind of awe. Proper awe makes a direct connection to God because there is simply no other logical conclusion. That's the kind of awe. And when we follow these stories about the awe that people have, and even as enemies, like, we can't deny what's going on here. We don't like to admit it, but there is no other logical conclusion. That's awe. And so if you go back to that text in Romans, you see that, that's that same element of awe. That God says, my, my creation is so amazing, you should be able to draw no other conclusion when you witness it for what it is than that God is the author of everything that's made. That's that kind of awe. The second seed that we're going to talk about, found in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he will exalt you and cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Again, likewise, we're talking here now, the second thing about humility. Humility has a couple of factors as well. It is not just this vague feeling where you'll see on our songs, oh, I'm just a scummy human being. That's not really the humility that he's talking about. But it begins as a proper placing of myself in the equation of God. Now, I can never really equate those things. One guy said, what, what kind of scale do we use? <laughs> okay. If, if I say I'm here, then, then God is off of the charts. Right? They can't see that high on the scale. He's off of the charts. So if I, if I put God in the scale, I say, okay, from here to here, this is God. Well, well where do we, how do I compare me? Because I'm a, you know, like, we have to get like an electron microscope to find me here. Right? We, we can't ever compare ourselves. We can't ever do it accurately. But to try to properly place ourselves in relationship to God. To acknowledge his superiority and his, his need. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Understanding my place and, and, and where God is in this equation is that he is the one that I need for whatever my needs are. For whatever the things that I would be anxious about. Understanding that he takes care of those. This too is shown in that Romans 1 passage. He, he talked about what happened. You looked at that progress or, or process that, that happens when, when people no longer had the reverence. And sometimes we see things in the absence. We, we see things defined best when, when it's absent. Like, oh wow, I really missed that. Oh, it was important to me. I didn't know it was important to me. So I don't got it now. And, and we see this in the process of of 
this irreverence that they developed. We see that they had been wise when they retained God in their knowledge, but, but they become fools. He talks about their futility of thought, that they're, they're very thinking, they're just not producing anything with their thoughts. And this is true because notable character, like creation itself, derives from God. And we see all those things that are necessary and productive for humanity all come from God. And this is that proper placement of ourselves and understanding when we look. These are the two seeds, awe and humility. So I want to move on then and talk about our displays of reverence. Because it's important that we understand that here's these seeds that are planted inside. And you, know, you plant something and you go, I hope that, uh, I hope that something comes up. What kind of seed did you get? Well, you don't know until it pops up. Okay, good harvest, bad harvest, whatever. So eventually it displays, as we said, that the things that we plant in our, in our soul are eventually, the things that are not seen are eventually going to manifest and people are going to see the quality. And reverence is going to eventually display or irreverence as it is. And we're going to talk about Again, from the perspective of the absence of it, I want to talk about two things. We're going to talk first about respect for God's order. This is where one of the areas, there are a lot of areas that we could look at where people will see it, but we're going to pick two. Actually, this uh, text, it says Leviticus 9.22. We're going to just kind of actually look at a couple of shorter sections because it won't fit. This is actually from uh, beginning in verse uh, 1 here uh, through verse 4. It says, If Nadab and Abihu, the son of, uh, sons of Aaron, each took their censer and put fire in it, they laid incense on it, um, talking about the altar, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Fire came out from, the, uh, from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said amongst those, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And in front of all the people, I will be glorified. Aaron held his peace and Moses called Mishael and Elzah found the sons of Uziel, who were the uncles, uh, or was the uncle of Aaron. And he said to them, come here and carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. Well, there are a couple of things in this text that we need to look at. First of all, we talk about, um, we're, we're still here, we see irreverence, and we're still in the first generation of the Mosaic Law. Isn't that interesting? This is not like this has taken a long time to get here. This is right after. The, the law is actually still in the process of being given, or at least <clears throat> spoken to the people. I mean, it's reasonable to see a departure a long time later, but this is so soon. And so Aaron's two oldest sons become an example 
through their lack of reverence. And I want to talk about profane fire. God has given a lot of directions about the way he wants things done. They know these things. There was a recipe, for example, of exactly how you were supposed to mix it. There were times when it was to be done. There was the location where it was supposed to be. Everything was very specifically set. This is, and he said, do this exactly as I say to do it. Don't, don't get creative. Now, if God had just said, offer incense, then they would have lived. If it was just that simple, if God just said, you know, just do a show and kind of, it's up to you and just do it the way you want, then, then they would have been fine. But they did something, or more than something, I don't know how many things were in error that they did, but we're, there are some clues that, that tell us what happened. And these are clues. And so what I'll say is conjecture. But I think it's, it's a really safe bet. It's interesting. So this is chapter 10, 1 through 10, 4. And for the next couple of verses after this, he goes through kind of this process of what, how they're not supposed to grieve because they don't want to mislead the people. They don't want the people thinking that this is a sad thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tragic in a way, but they're not supposed to grieve because they, they want the people to be reverencing God. The, the attention should be on the violation of God, not on the sadness for these people. But then this story just kind of interrupts the giving of the, the law here and the stating of things. And, and all of a sudden we come to verse 9. And he resumes picking up with some commandments. Or verse 8, excuse me. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Drink no wine or strong drink your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting. Or else you're going to die. And so this is a statute forever three generations. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. There are a couple of things that being under the influence does that I think was the case here. First of all, it affects your mental acuity. If there's a specific mixture, if there's a specific order, no one, no one says things like, you know, I was really having a tough time figuring out all those details, but I, I, I got loaded and it all made sense. Right? Those aren't things that people say. It affects us. Attention to detail is inversely proportional to your amount of consumption. That's just a fact. But it does something else. It affects your self-control. We have natural filters... There are things that you 
would like to say that you don't say. You just have natural filters. Different people have different filters. But those filters all diminish under the influence if you've ever been around somebody under the influence. The things that are inside tend not to be suppressed. Your impulses. We talk about people becoming a different person, and that is not the case. People don't become different people. What they become is who they really are underneath, without a filter. <coughs> you see, the angry drunk. No, he's always angry. He's just got a little bit of a filter when he's sober. But without the impulse, without that ability to control those impulses, then he is who he is. Now we're getting back to Nadab and Abihu. Because we're going to look, these are, this, is, this influence is not really describing why they're irreverent. It's describing why they can't control their irreverence. We're going to see really what the irreverence is. And to do that, we need to back up into Leviticus chapter 9. Aaron lifted up his hands. Now this is before the offering of incense. And these, Aaron is doing the, the sacrifice. Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them and came, out from the, uh, came down from the offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went then into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out, now this is an important phrase, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat which are on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. This is Aaron's job and, and Moses. A couple of things that are important here. As we look at the order of events, first of all, the altar is visible. There's a tabernacle. And we show it to you. This is the tabernacle. And you see the altar where the sacrifices are done. And then, and then he has to, the priest goes in and he, they do their thing in the, the Holy of Holies and then they come out. And fire comes out from this little room thing and, and, and consumes. And it, it shoots out from this. I mean, this must have been an amazing thing to watch. Talk about awe. Would you not be filled with reverence? You would be seized with amazement. As you see fire shoot out from this thing, apparently not burning the, the curtains, and, and consume the sacrifice that's sitting there, you know, 20, 30 feet away on the top of this altar. I think that we would all have deep reverence, and I would, that's what it, it, it depicts here, is that they all fell on their faces and they shouted, except for two people, who are maybe a little inebriated, and have a, a slightly different feeling. I want to go back to what it says about Nadab and Abihu. After they offer the profane fire, it says what? Fire came out from before the Lord. We've seen that phrase before. 
and consumed them. They died before the Lord. And then this is the directions that Moses gives them. He says, come carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. Now, the arrow here where it says altar of incense is where the altar is supposed to be. But this is not where Moses, or excuse me, where Nadab and Abihu were burnt up. The same phrase that describes where they were, where, where the altar was, where the sacrifice was burnt up, is approximately the same location where Nadab and Abihu were burnt up. Fire comes out of that room and consumes them. Now, now did God, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's just thinking for a second, and in the time he's thinking, they leave, and then he's like, you know, I'm going to do this. But I don't, you know, the history of God consuming people with fire tends not to be a long delay between the moment when he's offended and the moment that like, the ground opens up or whatever happens. He pretty much knows and has his mind made up. And this tells me one thing. <clears throat> Nadab and Abihu had moved the location of the altar of incense. But what did they want? Well, their job is inside when no one sees. And Moses and Aaron, oh, they get to go out there in front of everybody. And everybody bows down and celebrates it. It's a wonderful thing. We have to go in there and do our little thing. And no one gets to see us. Now, so long as that was a little seed in their mind, and so long as they, they thought that, that was wonderful, but there came a point where they were not in a state of mind to be able to either rationally reason what they should do, to rationally be awed by the power of God, and they were not capable to control their impulses. And those inner desires become manifest to everybody. And this is the irreverence. It, it wasn't, the alcohol wasn't the irreverence. That, just, and that was the catalyst for the problem. The problem was in their heart. The problem was they wanted to be recognized. They incorrectly perceived that Moses and Aaron were getting glory. When the point was gone was getting the glory. They wanted it for themselves and they could not control that. And this is what we go back to when we go back to Romans and we see this. People worshiping the creation rather than the creator. People worshiping all the other stuff. Oh man, that is so cool. And I'm worshiping the coolness of this event. And so they undermined both elements of self-control awe and the proper place we need respect for God's order but we also need respect for God's creation excuse me James says no human being can tame the tongue it's a restless evil full of deadly poison with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I want to go back actually to Leviticus. We see a, 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 a different story. We're going to turn to 
uh, chapter 19. We're going to read this because it's longer, longer, not long, but longer. Leviticus chapter 19. And we're going to read verse, we're going to begin in verse 9 and go through verse 18. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of the Lord. Uh, your God, for I am the Lord. Do not oppress your neighbors and rob them. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, for you are to fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life, for I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not revenge or bear grudges against members of your community. Love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Some of these make sense. Maybe some of these might naturally not be thought of for us in our day and age, but don't, like, don't cut the corners of your field. What do you mean don't harvest the corner of your field? Well, their law was that poor people had the right to the corners of your field to, to harvest that. Or someone coming through, a traveler, had the right to harvest a little bit of grain. This was just the law. This was how they took, this was their, I guess if you wanted to call it welfare system, this was how they did it. This is how they took care of the poor because as Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. So maybe we can understand how that fits into a different culture. But there are some interesting things in this that are not Really, when we look at a section of verses that are about how we treat other people or how they tra- treated other people, they're not really references to other people. For example, here in the middle of this passage about dealing with other people, he says, you shall not swear falsely or profane the name of the Lord. Why is that? That's kind of out of place. He has a commandment in there to fear God. An interesting enough, verse 10, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, and 18, every other verse ends with, I am the Lord your God. Why? Why these oddities in a, in a text about treatment of other people? Well, because reverence is revealed. Reverence for God will be revealed. And a reminder of who is the creator will affect how you treat other people. 
And that's why this verse in James is so important. In fact, James was dealing with some of the same things that this text, people who weren't honoring their employees and were keeping back their wages. So James addresses that very, very issue. There were some reference issues that James is dealing with. One of them comes out in the hardest impulse to control, and that is our tongue. He says, you bless God, you use words of reverence, but at the same time, you curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Reverence for God will be shown in how you look and treat his creation. The connection between our creation and our creator as we go back to Romans 1, again, that same connection. Now, he doesn't say reverence the creation. That's not what God wants. That will get us aside, as it had in, had in whatever point in time that Romans is talking about. We don't reverence the creation. We reverence the creator, but that will have a connection to how we treat God's creation Who would curse a brother or a person without a reason? Don't people typically have some kind of justification? Well, they deserve it. Or they're some miserable human being. Or they did this to me. We typically don't just pick a really nice purpose. I'm going to curse you. No, we have a justifiable reason in our mind. And God says, I don't care about your justifiable reason. It makes no difference what your justifiable reason is. They are still made in my image. He doesn't talk, uh, he doesn't equate their value, in other words, as a human being, based upon the things that they've done, no matter how horrible. He says their value has to do with the moment that they were conceived. Because when they were conceived, it was in my image. And that's where a human's value is. That God created them. Your description of them might even be right. God does not care about the description. I used a phrase in my children's presence within the last week talking about an evil person. That's inappropriate. Not because it's wrong, it might very well be wrong, but because I left my place. That's not mine to determine. It's not mine to state. It's logical. And I feel it's factual. The only way I know to properly place an event that has no logical explanation otherwise to me, but it's not mine. To take that task upon myself is to forget who's the creator and who's the creation. To read a soul is to lose awe for the God that actually has that ability. 
And those are the foundations of reverence. I want us to sober up a little bit. No, not by the typical thing that you might think of. I was spending, I have been spending a lot of time in the woods. Mostly unfruitful. And um, by one definition, unfruitful. And then I, I was about halfway through this week. I was thinking, has it been unfruitful? Um, these are some of the things that have happened to me in the woods. A, I have turned off my cell phone, which is good. And to spend time not connected to that thing is good. It's good. To go in and just look at these huge oak trees, massive, and then start thinking how old these things are, and then to watch one about 50 yards away from you snap like a matchstick in the wind, is it seizes you, <laughs> and you go, wow, glad I wasn't over there, glad I wasn't up in a tree. Power. Just massive power, and you go, creator, creator. That's amazing. That's the first thing uh, to see the curious creations. A woodpecker is a, an, an amazing thing. It, it's kind of it's just an odd thing, a unique thing to watch. I saw, I think for the second time in my life, a bald eagle the other day. That was pretty cool. It's a majestic thing. And see all these things and to start wondering if this is why I'm being a little unfruitful in my other pursuits. <laughs> to sober up is to start looking at creation and, and in whatever way, and what, to start looking at the, the ways God says, these are my attributes. Be impressed by them. And to just let that influence then the rest of creation that we look at. The, when we come out of the woods or whatever the thing is and to be among humans that that's the same creator that made them. But they are still as unique or more unique. And God's power can be seen just as much through what he's made. Not just of humans, but to see his power through the order and through the, the structure of the church and the Christianity and, and his love and everything he's done. If those moments when we're alone... If we have that reverence and if we're just gripped, it will come out. And people will see it in how we treat them. And people will see how we talk about God and, and all of these things. It will be something that affects people visibly.